You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. With you. It's Ezra chapter 7. It's going to be verses 1 through 10. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to read it with you and then, and then dive into preaching. So if you would, let's uh, stand together. Let's read God's word together. Um, in fact, I won't make you read it with me because there's a lot of weird names that are hard to pronounce. Um, but it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Beginning in verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, I like that name by the way, son of Buki, son of Abishu, son of Phineas, who by the way is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and Levites, the seniors and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the word of God for us this morning. Amen. I want to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray this morning, God, that you would come and make your word Come alive in front of us. Pray that your spirit would be free to move in our midst. We just ask that you would speak to us. Ask God that you would come and do a, a work of transformation in us. That you would help us to apply your word to our hearts. Be obedient to what we hear. Pray God that dead hearts would come to life this morning. I trust you to do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, this text um, in front of us um, describes the day uh, when Ezra, Ezra, I don't know what's going on with my lips or my words, but they're coming out funny, describes the day when Ezra um, shows up in Jerusalem, okay? So it's that day. Ezra shows up in Jerusalem. It's roughly 80 years after the first group of exiles had returned. So catch it again, 80 years later. After the first group of exiles had returned to Jerusalem, back in the beginning of the book of Ezra, now it's 80 years later and Ezra shows up, right? When I think about that day, the day that Ezra shows up on the scene, I think it was probably a, a day of real historical significance, right? God saw fit um, to have that day recorded right here in his word, so it seems that it would have had some deep historical significance and it causes me to ask the question why why is it important why why did god see fit to put this in the bible i do think it was historically significant but i don't think it was historically significant because of the 80 years they had gone by i don't think that it was historically significant um, because of the cultural issues that were going on at the time you could spend time focusing on those things, but I don't think that that's the thrust of why this is in the Bible. I don't think um, that it's significant or important because of the spiritual condition of Israel, although that's part of it. I don't think that's the reason this is here. As important as all these things are, when you think about it, history is important, current cultural issues are important, um, Spiritual condition of Israel at this time, on this day, that's important. I don't think that those are the reasons that this day, when Ezra shows up, I don't think that that is the reason this text is here. I think this is here, and I think it's important because of the kind of man that Ezra was. 
That's what I think. If you ask yourself that question, you know, you, you get a letter from someone maybe. They write you a letter and you go, why did they write me this letter? I want to get to the central idea behind what's here. I want to sift through everything and try to figure it out. That's the work of interpreting scripture and studying it for ourselves, right? It would be all too easy to take a text like this or any text in the Bible and talk about things that it actually has nothing to do with. I'm guilty of that at times. (laughs) I think we probably all are at times. This text, I think, it's important because of the kind of man that Ezra was. You think about all the micro issues of Ezra's day. They were certainly significant. They're very important to address. But the day that Ezra shows up here in Jerusalem, it's important because of the kind of man that he is. And I think that once I understood that, once I arrived at that in regards to this text, uh, I began to think about the kind of man that I am. I began to think about the kind of man that I want to be. And so that's like the central question for us. What kind of person are you? What kind of man or woman are you? What kind of man or woman do you want to be? What kind of vision do you have for your life? I think sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the, in the here and now, or we can get so wrapped up in all the things going on out there that we forget to really focus on who am I, right? what kind of person am I, and what kind of person do I want to be um, a few months from now, years from now? What kind of vision do I have for my life? Ezra, as you study through this, you take a look at the text, Ezra was a priest, right? And he was a man who possessed really great spiritual authority. Why? Because he came from a very important, very famous family. We're going to look at that here in a minute. Uh, He was a scribe. Um, We don't really have scribes today. (laughs) Kind of, but not really. He was a scribe, and he, he possessed really great political power and influence. That's really important to notice in the text. He was a man of really courageous faith. How? Well, a man of really courageous faith because he went straight to the top, right? He went right to the king to get what he needed. text tells us that. What else does it tell us about Ezra? It tells us he was willing to go the distance, you might say. Willing to go the distance to travel a rough road to pursue his calling. Uh, he was a reformer who was really committed to the centrality of the word of God. Um, and above all this, the hand of God was on him. I mean, you take all of this stuff that we learn about Ezra in this text, and you just go, man, those are some pretty massive shoes to fill, right? Pretty big shoes, I think. Um, Let's think about these for a few minutes together. Let's take the first one. Ezra was a man of what I would call great spiritual pedigree. Um, When I was younger, uh, we bred dogs, Siberian Husky, and uh, um, pedigree was important. My mom was a horse trainer and owned horses, too. Pedigrees, once again, were very important. <clears throat> the, best, the better the pedigree on the papers, the better the animal, the more valuable, you could say. And oftentimes, I think we fall into that same trap of thinking if my family tree would look better, I would be more valuable. That's not true. You are valuable if you trust in Jesus because of the spirit that lives inside of you and the Jesus who gave his life for you, right? And yet, it's important for us to think about the spiritual pedigree or the spiritual papers, the spiritual family tree that Ezra has, and how does that apply to our lives, right? How does it apply to that question, who am I, what kind of person am I, and what kind of person do I want to be? Now, most of us, I think, when we get to these lists of names in the Bible, we wind up skimming our way through it because the names don't make a whole lot of sense. They don't hold a lot of meaning for us. But if you stop and you take a look at some of the names in Ezra's family tree, you get a sense that Ezra, again, he was a man who came from a line of other men who possessed some great spiritual authority. It's something to notice. I mean, I I really like the name Phineas. I I always have. Always loved his story. Um, If you go back and you do some research on who Phineas was, dude was a bad dude. I don't know how else to say he's just a bad dude. He's a guy I would want with me in a dark alley. Why? Phineas, he was a fiery priest. I get the sense that maybe he had red hair. Those redheads are kind of fiery, I think. If there's redheads in the room, I'm sorry. Um, well, maybe I shouldn't be sorry. It's just, you know, it's part of who you are. I don't know. I think he was probably a redhead. That's just what I think. Um, 
He's a fiery priest, though, man. If you go back and you read the story of Phineas, what did he do? He literally, with a spear, maybe a sword, a very sharp, pointy object, killed a couple because they were desecrating the house of God. That's church discipline gone wild. You'd be on the front page of every newspaper right now if that was the way you practice church discipline today, okay? Rightly so. I'm not saying I like him just because he killed somebody. I'm just his, his passion for purity is what gets me. Aaron is another name. I'm only going to go with two from the list. Uh, if you think about Aaron is mentioned in here, he was the chief priest. What does that mean? It means that Aaron was the dude who started the entire priestly bloodline in the Bible. He was the founder. He basically founded the order of the priests. I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, that's a legacy, I think. I mean, there's a lot of things that Aaron did wrong. Trust me, we can go back and check that out too. But just to be known as the founder of the priests because God called you and anointed you for that, is, I think it's pretty cool. So suffice it to say, um, what Ezra has going on here is a really great spiritual pedigree, right? He's got some names in his list that go, man, Duke comes from a pretty cool family tree. He was really literally related to some of the heroes of the faith from the past who had done some really amazing spiritual things. Um, when, uh, when the people who were already in Jerusalem heard that Ezra is coming, the thought in their mind is, oh, Ezra's related to Phineas. Ezra's related to Aaron. That dude's coming here. It's like thinking about maybe your favorite preacher that's not on the stage today. Okay. Because I know today I get to be you guys' favorite, just for today. But think about your favorite preacher that you do like to listen to a lot outside of your church. It'd be like if that guy was coming to town, or that woman. I mean, it's an exciting day. Now, I, don't, I don't think that I have uh, much in my spiritual family tree, my spiritual pedigree, um, quite like Ezra. Um, I wouldn't mind being used by God to infuse that kind of pedigree into my family tree. And I figure in, in a room this size with all of us here, we probably fall into two generic camps, right? One camp is, ah, I look back at my family tree and there's not right, a lot of spirituality there, right? I look back a couple generations and not really a lot of people that followed the Lord or trusted him. Cultural Christians maybe went to church twice a year because of holidays, you know, might have that kind of family tree or could even be worse. Like my family was just... Mine, brutal, bad, dark, okay. I do have some stories I can tell you about my dad. Um, or you can step over to this other side. Maybe you're in this category and you're like, no, actually, I've kind of been a Christian since the day I was born because my mom and dad were believers, and there's kind of that sense, right? Um, like, I just grew up in the church. My kids are going to kind of have that story to tell, right? Um, wherever you're at in those two camps, I think what we see from Ezra here is that we have opportunities in our families, right? We have opportunities to build up that spiritual pedigree in our family tree, our family line. Wherever you come from, wherever you're at today, this can be you. You can be one of those people that extended what was already started in your family. You can be a person who maybe... Uh, turns things around, so to speak, in your family tree. And generations from now, people might look back and go, because you started following the Lord, the rest of the family was impacted by that in the future. I think that's maybe how I would apply it. And I would ask this question, what are you doing to invest in that? What are you doing to invest in the kind of person that you are and the kind of person that you are becoming so that you might carry that lineage forward and if not even that, make it better, Right? To see God's name glorified even more so in your family. What's God calling you to do to see that happen? Second thing I see about Ezra is that he was a man of great political influence and courage. Um, when I look at the text, the text tells us that Ezra was a scribe, right? He, he was skilled in the law of Moses. Also tells us that the king himself gave everything that Ezra asked for to him. When, at, when Ezra went to the king, the king goes, anything you need, bro, take it. Whatever you need, you can have it. And the text tells us this, this happened because the hand of God was on him. Now, I don't know about you, but 
God has not given me <laughs> the ear of uh, National Keens. Okay? Never had the opportunity to ask a king or to ask the president for some kind of resources to advance the kingdom of God. So it seems to me that as I read this and I look at this, I go, well, I feel a little bit removed from that. There's like a river in between us or a valley that Ezra's in a different place than I was. How do I kind of cross that river and apply that to my life, right? One of the first things I think it is important for us to think about is that just because God has not given us the ear of kings or presidents does not mean that the hand of God is not on your life. So I think it's important to recognize that first. It's not that, it's not that the ability to speak to that kind of person of power or influence proves that you have the hand of God on your life. It's just that Ezra received what he needed because the hand of God was on his life, right? At the end of the day, if you and I have both trusted in Jesus, we've trusted in his work at the cross, the empty tomb, the promise of his return, if that is you or I, then the reality is we have the hand of God on our lives, the spirit of God lives within us, and God is guiding our lives, so that means that if that's all true, then we've all been given the opportunity to influence other people in our relational circles, right? <clears throat> and I think the reality is this. I think the rubber hits the road when it comes to this, this idea of having influence in other people's lives. Um, I, I think the rubber hits the road when we are speaking to power, when we're speaking to people of power. Um, or authority in our lives. It's those places, I think, where the rubber hits the road. And at that point, when you have that opportunity to speak to someone with power or influence or authority over you, like Ezra had here, I think it would be really good if each of us were like Ezra and had a reputation for being skilled in studying God's word. Right? I wouldn't want to step into that kind of conversation without having the power of God's word behind me. Because without it, I'm powerless. So the question, I think, is, like, what are you doing with the opportunities that you have to study God's word? And what are you doing with the opportunities that are being given to you to influence the people around you? What are you doing with those? Third thing I see about Ezra is that he was a man of endurance, right? He's a man of endurance, when you look at the text and you just read the story a little bit, you learn that Ezra, along with the entire company, right, like an entire ministry team, you could say, people with a whole bunch of gifts and talents and treasures and leadership roles and titles, um, he travels with this entire ministry team of people. And it's a thousand-mile journey. It's a long ways uh, from, from Babylon to Jerusalem. One thousand miles. Um, and he did it in four months. I think it's easy for us to read that and go, okay. Um, we live in a different time. Again, if you think about the river, the kind of divides that culture from our culture, um, for us to travel a thousand miles, that's yeah, a long trip. Um, hop on an airplane. You know? Hop in a car. Whatever form of transportation you like. Doesn't take us as long. Certainly won't take us four months to go a thousand miles. Um, but if you, if you think about this, if you step into their culture for a minute, uh, they would have had to have traveled uh, nearly, okay, if, if, they would have, if they would have traveled six days a week, right, and then were good kind of in their, their Jewish Israelite religion, and they took one day off for Sabbath to rest, and they only traveled six days a week, they would have had to travel nearly 10 miles a day. Now, 10 miles a day doesn't sound like much until you remember that it was on foot. Might have had a donkey, maybe. Might have had a small wagon, possibly. But then if you also take into account the terrain between uh, Babylon and Jerusalem, it's a scorching hot desert, and it's dry. And later in the text, we, we, we read a snippet somewhere uh, further ahead that it seems like they had to face enemies along the way too. For the most part, you and I don't face any enemies other than people with road rage, <laughs> of which I'm probably one of them. I should probably confess that sin now. Yeah. When we're traveling, we don't face these things. Uh, we get hungry, we just stop at a gas station and get some food and keep moving, right? They would have faced a ton of stuff on this journey. So 10 miles a day in those kinds of conditions would actually, I think, took a ton of endurance. This is why I say I think Ezra was a man of great endurance. 
When you think about this word endurance, what kind of words come to your mind? For me, when I think about endurance, I think about words like focus. I think about commitment. I think about ownership. I think about strategy. I think about responsible actions. I think about a clear vision for what lies ahead. Those are the words I think of when I think of this word endurance and what it took for Ezra and his band of church workers, so to speak, to make that trip. And that's the kind of man I want to be, you know? I want to be the kind of man who is known for my endurance. I want to be the kind of man who is known to have a singular focus, not like a cat who just continues to, you know, run off and squirrel. I want to be known as a man that kind of catches it and goes, I'm focused on this and we're headed this way, right? Just because there's an exit I can jump off on, I don't need to. I need to keep going this way. That's what I want to be known for. A man who is focused, committed to it, owns the journey. Like, this is my journey and I'm headed there. I don't have to rely on somebody else to make it happen for me. I don't need somebody to manage me. I'm going to lead my life forward, right? That's the kind of person I want to be. I see all this in Ezra in this whole story. That means I have to be really responsible with my actions too, right? My behaviors, what I choose to do, what time I choose to get out of bed, what time I choose to go to sleep, what, how often I choose to watch TV, so on and so forth. I want to be that kind of man who is focused, responsible, want to have a clear vision for where I'm headed, and I want to make traction that way. I don't want to get stuck spinning my wheels in the mud. I certainly don't want to go backwards. And I also don't want to get off on exits that don't belong to me and wind up lost in some little town. I want to head that way. I want to be a man of endurance. I also want to surround myself with people like that. You ever think about that? The people you surround yourself with have an awful lot to do with where you're at in your life. If you don't surround yourself with people, that could be part of the problem. If you surround yourself with the wrong people, that could be part of the problem too. Right? What is it? Bad company corrupts good morals? I think that's the scripture somewhere. Pretty sure. So I want to surround myself with this kind of people as well. I want to be around people who are known for their endurance. I want to be around people who are known for their single-minded focus on the things of God. I want to be in a community of people who are absolutely committed to being who they say they're going to be and doing what they say they're going to do. That's the community I envision that I want to be in. I don't know what community you want to be in. I don't know what you want for your friend crowd. This, I'm just telling you what I want. When I read this text, it awakens this inside of me. I want to be surrounded by people who take really serious ownership of their own spiritual journeys. I want to be in a community of people who act accordingly to that in a responsible manner, you know? I want to be surrounded by people who have godly visions for their lives, or at least trying to figure out what that vision is. I had to do a paper recently for seminary on uh, the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. Has anybody, anybody never not listened? I've I'll just be, I've never listened to the full speech until recently. Um, when I listened to that, I, I heard a man that had great vision, not only for his life, but the people that he wanted to be surrounded by. He's a dreamer. He wasn't only a dreamer, he was also a strategist. He made strategic steps to get to where he was going. He, didn't, he wasn't just the guy that walked in the room and was like, I dream about something new every week, and now I'm headed this way. Right? He actually got after it. He was serious about it. It really rocked me when I listened to it. I, I don't know why I hadn't heard the whole speech until now, but um, it got me to thinking. I think Ezra was similar to this. I really do. Endurance. It takes an awful lot of endurance to travel that thousand miles on foot. You think about it, does any of that sound attractive to you? You know what I mean? Like, is any of that kind of like awaken your heart a little bit? And, 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 and all the things I've talked about, you think about all those, those words, right? I go back to those. Let me scroll up here. Like, what part of those things is yours? Again, big umbrella, endurance. Underneath that, all these words in bubbles, right? Focus, commitment, ownership, strategy, responsible actions, clear vision. Maybe it's all of it for you. 
I'd, I'd, I'd go as far to say this. I'd say if you walk out of here today and you don't have one of those words circled or written down somewhere, you miss the boat. That's what I think. I could be wrong, and God might come convict me of that. I think you probably should pick one of those words and get after it, however God calls you to. Fourth thing you see about Ezra, Ezra was a man of God. And you're like, duh. Yeah, he was a man of God. Um, when you think about this for our culture today, and make the connections, cross the river once again, because I've been using that analogy a lot, right? It's becoming less and less popular in our culture to say that you are a Christian today. In America, less and less popular. Agreed? Okay. And at least say it with some conviction. You know what I mean? Like, to say that I'm a Christian, that I have convictions, that I believe there's a right and a wrong, and I'm going to walk this way because this is right, I'm not going to walk that way because it's wrong, and I'm going to have enough conviction to tell you that I think what you're doing is wrong, yet also give you the space to walk that out as the Holy Spirit comes and gets you. That kind of... Christian, that kind of conviction, right? I'm not talking about the Christian who just posts all sorts of memes all over the Facebook. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Christian who's actually walking with God, is a man of God or a woman of God, and has a conviction to walk that out, to be the only person in that space walking that way, right? It's becoming less and less popular to do so. I think that what's happening in our culture is that we are slowly returning to a time when those who followed God in this way are being marginalized, uh, seen as the scum of the earth, right? I think we're entering that time, if not waist deep in it right now. Um, take out of our culture, jump across the river into Ezra's culture for a minute. To be a follower of God in his culture at that time, <coughs> that would mean that you were viewed this way. You're weak, you're oppressed, and you are a conquered people. That's what it meant. That's why we call them the exiles. That's why Ezra is coming out of exile, because they've been freed. But you're still viewed in the culture as weak and oppressed and conquered. You literally have very little influence over what is happening in the culture around you. As I said, Ezra had this unique opportunity where he had the ear of the king. But that didn't mean that Ezra had this massive political empire behind him. He had, he had nothing. He was just placed in the right place at the right time by the hand of God. And God gave him that. There was no liberal or conservative. There was no Democrat or Republican. There was none of that there. So it's different and yet I do think in our culture we're moving that way where we are as Christians, for those of us who would take a good, strong, convictional stance on the gospel and who we are and how we are to live. I do believe we're in that day where we're going to be seen very similar to what they were seen as, weak, oppressed, marginalized. And yet, here's Ezra, right? He's a man of God. Um, he's been given all that he, he asked for by the king. He's enduring the thousand mile journey to Jerusalem. Why? Because the good hand of God was upon him. Wherever the presence of God went, Ezra goes to. That's who I want to be. Wherever the presence of God goes, that's where I want to go. And that's the kind of people I want to go with. I don't want to be a guy who wraps up my spiritual identity in a national flag I do not want to be a man who claims to follow God but produces barely visible results that God is actually with me. I mean, you know what that looks like, right? I mean, maybe, maybe in your own life when you hit those seasons where it's like really dry spells and you're like, man, I wonder if God's even doing anything in me. Or you look around you and you see folks who say, yeah, I'm Christian. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're a believer or not because I don't see any evidence. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be stuck with my wheels in the mud just spinning with no growth, no proof, no evidence, no fruit. I don't want to be a man who couches all of my spirituality, my, my relationship with God in all of the things that I protest either. Are you catching like all the different balances of the extremes that we have a tendency to go to as believers? I'm like bouncing back and forth between those two poles and I want to find this center in that journey, and I don't want to be those extremes. <coughs> Lastly, and this is just good for me to say, 
I don't want to be that guy who's just all about what I know, you know, in my head. I want to be a man. I want to be a man who goes where God is going. What would that look like for you to go wherever the presence of God is calling you? I'll take this quick aside bunny trail um, because I think maybe it fits. When I think of that question of where, where God calls me to go, and, I, and I'm asking him, are you going there? Because I want to go where you're going. I remember, so it had to have been 2003, 2004. However many years ago that was. I can't do math that well. 18 years ago? Yeah, about 18 years ago. That's a long time. I'm old. My kids remind me of that all the time. So about 18 years ago, I read a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. Anybody familiar? Cross and the Switchblade. Really small book. Great story. Story of a little country pastor. Somebody's a God pastor. Wear a suit and tie. Real small, very poor church. He's sitting in his chair on a, on, on a Saturday morning or something. He's reading the newspaper. <coughs> he reads a story about the games in New York. And uh, these boys that had beat up another boy and were thrown in jail for it. <coughs> and he hears God tell him, I want you to go to New York. Teen Challenge. Remember that name, Teen Challenge. Little country pastor, his name's David Wilkerson, I think is his name. I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. Is he dead? Okay. Um, goes to his little church and he says, I want to raise an offering. I believe God's presence is going to New York and he wants me to go with him. Not that God's presence is leaving anywhere else, but it's where God wants me to go. And so he raises this offering. It's barely enough to get him there and barely enough to get him home on gas. Not even enough to get him a hotel room. And so he sleeps in his car in the downtown streets of New York City. Um, and he covers his windows with newspapers. <coughs> and I, can't, I think he said he was afraid he's going to wake up in the morning and the tires are going to be gone off of his car. But that wasn't, I don't think that was true. I don't think it happened. Um, but he gets up and he gets out of the car in the morning. And he's in this gang-infested neighborhood. And he's walking through the heroin houses. And he's seeing all sorts of horrific things happening. And he's trying to share the gospel and, and be helpful, Right? trying to pursue God's calling. Eventually, he gets confronted by <clears throat> one of the local leaders, a Hispanic dude, can't remember his name, but um, gets confronted by him. The guy holds him at knife point, says, I'm going to cut you to pieces if you don't leave here. And David looks at him and he goes, you can cut me to pieces, but every last piece of me that you cut up is going to love you. <laughs> I read that, and I was like, gosh, that's who I want to be. The crazy thing is, that gang leader um, got saved, got baptized, became a national evangelist with the Assemblies of God, and is like very famous. Um, documentaries done on this kid um, became one of the most productive evangelists in the Assemblies of God. David then later went on to uh, plant and start a ministry called Teen Challenge, uh, which is like a drug and rehab, alcohol rehab uh, type of a ministry. That's, that's what got me started. So when I ask that question, what would it look like for you to go where God is calling you and to get out of the kind of self-centered American mindset that I'm just building my life for me. I want my big house. I want my two and a half stall garage. For me, three motorcycles would be great. And you know, what is it, 2.5 kids is the way it goes. I blew that away by far because we got seven. Um, I, what would it take for me to get my mind out of that kind of uh, a uh, just merely surviving, right? Just paying my bills and making it through the week and building my little empire for me that I might leave to my kids. What would it look like for me to get my head out of that and go, that was something really big that God's called me to? What it look like for you to go in the presence of God wherever he's heading? That's kind of what it has looked like for me, right? Fifth thing, bounce through this. Fifth thing about Ezra. He was a man of God's word. That seems obvious from the text, right? He was a man of God's word. Tells us that the good hand of God was on him. Why? In the last two verses, 9 and 10. Tells him that the good hand of God was on him because... Because his heart was set on 
studying God's word. It was set on doing what God's word says. It was set on teaching God's word to others. What does all that mean? It means that the centrality of studying and doing and teaching God's word, that is directly linked to the presence of God in a person's life. Listen to this. You and I cannot expect God's presence to be with us if God's word is not in us. If God's word is not in you, God's presence will not go with you. It's also worth noting that the study of God's word is not just a private discipline. Part of the problem for us in the culture we live in is we are all individualized. It is a value in our culture that I am my own man. It's an American mindset that was there from the beginning. And, and there's, there's good stuff about that. Be your own man. Be your own woman. Do what God's called you to do. But don't do it divorced from biblical community. You will not get anywhere. You'll build a great social program at best that will not make eternal differences. It's not just a private discipline. And even over the last two years, you think about the last two years, I think, designed spiritually by powers that be, not physical but spiritual, I think have been meant to separate us from one another more and more and more. Whether it's the fear or whether it's the distaste or whatever it is, it was meant, I think, to separate and individualize more and more and more. Satan absolutely knows that if he can separate sheep from other sheep out from underneath the shepherd, when you're by yourself, you're weaker. That's why I love the movie Band of Brothers. Ever watched that? It's one of my favorite movies. There's others, but that's one of them. There's not one of those men in that movie that could have fought the battles they fought all by themselves. Couldn't have. There's enough of them that died in the midst of that anyways. They needed each other. And you see this definitely as you look forward in the scriptures when you get into the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, you see that community built on God's word, built on evangelism, sharing the gospel, built on getting in each other's faces and growing together. And this is my concern for our church. I could say for the church today out here in America, but I just want to say this is my concern for our church. I've been here for nine and a half years, right? I've watched the ebbs and the flows of our church family. I know that as a family, we are an organism, right? You're going to gain some, you're going to lose some, and there's also going to be this ebb and this flow of what happens in the family. And the thing that concerns me about us as a church family is that we say we value the study of God's word together in community, and we do that pretty well here on Sunday mornings, I think, but I would say we have uh, almost completely lost this practice of studying God's word and community throughout the week in small groups. Except for a small remnant. Uh, it's less than 50% of the people that are on our list. That concerns me as a pastor. It concerns me because it's like if you, if you take the shepherd to sheep analogy and you say, okay, we've got to move sheep from one pasture to the next so they get fed, less than 50% of the sheep that are attached to our church are making it a priority to be in some kind of small group discipleship. That's concerning, really concerning to me, because it lets me know that there are an awful lot of sheep here that are starving in this area of studying the scriptures together in community. See, the, the lack of studying God's word in small groups throughout the week, it's alarming to me, because in my mind, here's another way of putting it, I think we become no better than the majority of the church throughout the West who is more consumed with consuming a Sunday gathering experience at the expense of actually investing in communal discipleship where life on life meets around God's word. You can, you can sit here and you can hear me preaching at you, and that's good, it's important, but there's something entirely different about the commitment and the sacrifice and the investment that it takes to be face-to-face -face on a weekly basis to say, hey brother, hey sister, I got this going on in my life. And as I'm looking at God's word, this is what it's saying. Or, hey, brother, hey, sister, I see what's going on in your life. And here's what God's word would say to you. You need that. I would actually say, and I've said this for years, I believe that's actually the meat on the plate when it comes to church life. This that we're doing on Sunday mornings, this is dessert, in my opinion. 
if you just eat dessert all the time, you're going to get sick. That's my concern for us as a church family. I'm not saying that next week we're just going to knock this out of the park and get it right either. I, I know that something like this, when I lay something like this before us as a church family, I understand that's going to take time. That, that schedule reorienting for some folks, it's priority, prioritizing for some folks. Um, we have a big, beautiful building here, uh, big enough to do a, a group of 10 and stay socially distanced if we need to do that. Whatever we need to do, we've got to get back to this value of studying God's word together and looking at one another and saying, I love you, and God says he loves you, and knowing, like being known. I, I, think about this. How many of you know each other right now or know what's going on in each other's lives? When I say that Ezra was a man of God's word, I, I believe that he would have been a man of God's word, not only preaching to large groups, but I believe because of the communal nature of Israel, they would have been in those small group gatherings throughout the week, if not daily. What we see in the book of Acts is just a continuation of what Israel had been doing for thousands of years. So that's why I think it's definitely appropriate to land this as an application for our church and just challenge that as much as I can. That's what I want. When I think about the kind of person I want to be and the kind of people I want to be with, I desperately want to be a part of a community of Ezra's. I landed that this week and I thought, yes, a community of Ezra's. The kind of men and women who study God's word together. The kind of men and women who fight to make the necessary sacrifices to be together the kind of men and women who will look into each other's eyes, know each other well enough, trust each other well enough to verbally communicate the word of God to one another that is both encouraging and challenging, at times rebuking, but that would help us to grow. You think of the best coach you ever had when you were on a volleyball team or a basketball team or a football team or any kind of team. Take that coach out of there and what happens to that team? It falls apart, right? So you need, and, and, and take away those practice, practice runs that you did. Take away team practices. You wouldn't be able to play anymore, right? I use that same analogy for this whole concept of being together as a church family centered around God's word, a community of Ezra's. To me, that, that seems really, really attractive. I don't need to sit here and look back and go, well, we haven't done well at that for two years. I can say it one time. And then I can say, how are we going to get forward? How are we going to move forward? I can think there, right? So in conclusion, um, I wanted to try to say something in light of that kind of really dark, grim kind of concern that I have for us as a church community. And um, I kind of want to leave you with that question again. Like, what, what kind of person are you? What kind of man or woman are you? Um, who do you want to be? Like, where, where are you at in that? <laughs> um, and I came across this uh, thing that an author said about the text that we just studied. And, and I think it, it kind of brings some of it home. Um, listen to what he has to say. Hopefully you'll catch something. Um, it stood out to me. It's a whole paragraph. This author says, One would imagine, when you're looking at the text, one would imagine that the religious life in Jerusalem, from the temple's dedication, after the temple was built, from that dedication point, to the time of Ezra's arrival, that what had actually happened in Israel is that they had taken on an outward conformity to the temple's rituals and sacrifices. So you think about that outward conformity. Uh, there, there was outward conformity and an external compliance. Okay, But it was a public faith only and it didn't relate to the people's private lives. As we're going to see in the rest of the book, one of the issues that Ezra is going to have to contend with is the flagrant abuse of Israel's law regarding marriage. The people were simply outwardly conforming, but inwardly they were living to please themselves. And it's a pattern that Israel had passed through before that the church is also continuing to pass through today. And what Ezra did, he says, is he came to challenge that. He came to condemn religiosity in its mere formality. He came to call the people of God back to something called heart religion, in which, now listen to this, in which obedience to detail is not seen as something legalistic and irksome. What does that mean? I think about the kind of man that Ezra was. 
I think about my desire to be like him, to be surrounded by people who are like him. I personally find it very invigorating to dream about a community of people who are investing in their own spiritual journeys, a community of people who are courageously laboring to influence others around them, a community of people who are known for their endurance, known for their single-minded focus, known for their commitment, for being who they say they are, for doing what they say they're going to do, for having clear vision of what lies ahead. I find it invigorating to think about being a community of people who are men and women of God, going everywhere in the presence of God, right? A community of people who spend time together in God's word regularly. I want to be part of that kind of a community, a community of Ezra's. And yet, even when God gives us, in this text, a unique opportunity to see a human like Ezra, when you see that in the Bible, a spiritual giant like Ezra, I also know that Ezra is just merely a man. Just merely a man. He's just a dude. God used him powerfully. We don't see a lot of his sin. God chose not to show us that about Ezra very much. But he was a man who points us to Jesus. He, and he is. His character points us to Jesus. If you and I can catch a vision, put your glasses on if you need them, you know what I mean? If you, if you can catch a vision, a picture for Jesus, see him as the best Ezra you could ever meet. If we saw that, here's what I think would happen. I think we would run across broken glass to become the kind of people that Ezra was. Let me just run through this real quick. Jesus' spiritual pedigree. What do you think it makes Ezra's look like? Jesus' spiritual pedigree makes Ezra's look like the credits at the end of a boring movie. Think about Jesus' courage. Think about his influence on people's lives. It makes Ezra's relationship with the king look like a schoolyard friendship in my mind. I look at Jesus, you know. Do you have that picture of Jesus? Think about Jesus' single-minded focus, his endurance, right? Like with the joy that was set before him, he set his face towards the cross. You catch that vision. Is there anything that would stop you from like, yes, that's who I want to be. That's what I want to do. Ain't nothing going to stop me because my God's bigger I just, man, Jesus' single-minded focus, his endurance makes Ezra's thousand-mile journey look like a short trip to the grocery store, right? Like, Ezra's great, but he just points us to Jesus. The presence of God on Jesus' life, I mean, people just got healed, right? Pigs ran off of cliffs, demons ran from him. Presence of God on Jesus' life, his devotion to the community of God's word makes Ezra's look like child's play, I think. This is Jesus. This Jesus, this perfect Jesus, he gave his life for you and me. He left the tomb empty, he gave us the promise of heaven. Like Satan, sin, and death, they were no match for the bloody cross. Satan, sin, and death were no match for the empty tomb. Satan, sin, and death were no match for the promise of heaven. And Satan, sin, and death are no match for the commission that you and I have been given. Wherever God's called you to, and what he's called you to be, can't be stopped. Because you have the Spirit of God inside of you. I think if you and I catch a vision for this crucified, this risen, this returning Savior, this commissioning captain, as Spurgeon calls him. If we caught that vision, don't you think we'd live a little more purposefully? A little more wildly? A little more, God dare I say, recklessly? <laughs> I think we become a community of Ezra's if we catch that vision. Catch this illustration. Coming back to the idea of being obedient to details and calling it legalism. Uh, I think if we would catch this vision, we would not be like the guy who with Valentine's Day coming up, buys his wife red roses even though she loves pink tulips, and then just kind of expects her to feel loved, right? I think we'd actually 
if we caught a vision for Jesus as the best Ezra ever, then we would be like the man who actually pays close attention to the details of what his wife loves and actually buys his wife pink tulips because she loves pink tulips. You catch my drift? Like in the church today, too many of us are satisfied with half-hearted little obedience. Thankfully, Jesus didn't do anything half-hearted, right? He didn't do anything halfway. This is why he's the best Ezra ever. Ezra can't give you and I the power that we need to become a community of Ezra's. Jesus can because Jesus was more than a mere man. Jesus is God in the flesh. He came down from heaven to do what? Ransom, redeem, save, sanctify, make holy those who have trusted in him. Which means that by the power of the crucified, risen, and returning Jesus, then you and I can become the kind of people who are investing in our own spiritual journeys. Courageously laboring to influence others around us. Known for our endurance, known for our focus, known for our commitment, known for our ownership over our own spiritual growth, known for our strategic living rather than lazy, lackadaisical, checked out living. Known for being responsible with the activity of our lives because we have a clear vision for our life as we walk that out with God because because of a crucified, risen, and returning Savior. Because of that truth alone, we can become a community of people who represent God everywhere we go, knowing and trusting that the presence of God goes with us because God's word is in us. Therefore, we can become a community of people who actually do spend time together in God's word regularly. And we can become a community of Ezra's. And the way you do that is by holding fast to Jesus. Amen? Do you stand with me? I'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of the gospel. For sending your son Jesus to the cross, leaving the tomb empty, giving us the hope of heaven, and therefore giving us the hope that we can be not just like Ezra, but we can be just like you because you're better than Ezra. I pray today that uh, you would do work in our hearts as we close our time together, that you would lead us to the foot of the cross, help us to repent, confess sin, trust once again, that if we believed in our hearts and confessed with our mouth that we have been justified and saved and nothing can revoke that, nothing can change that. Help us to be there and to walk out of here invigorated, empowered, enabled to be the kind of people that you have called us to be in a world that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. God, help us to be that kind of people. Trust you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.